chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 7 through verse 15 here in just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 8. Now, we've been going through the life of Elisha. Started off with Elijah. And then Elisha took the baton from Elijah. Their primary ministry was to the northern portion of Israel. Israel has been divided during their lifetime, and, or before their lifetime actually, and both of them, both of those prophets ministered to what would be called Israel in the southern portion of Israel, they distinctively called Judah. And so his primary ministry is to Israel. During the whole, his whole tenure and Elijah's whole tenure, there had been some sins in Israel that had not been resolved. Uh, you really can't find a good king up there. You can certainly find some kings that were better than others in regards to the, uh, uh, the, the amount of wickedness that was uh, uh, happening in their reign. Some kings uh, cut back and they removed some things, but they never really cleaned house. And so uh, what I'm going to read to you as I was studying this I have, I have looked over this for a couple of weeks, to be quite honest with you. This narrative I find to be a very difficult portion of Scripture to preach. But I'm jumping into it. We're here to learn the Word of God. And if you have some truth as we study this, and maybe there's something that stands out to you that, oh boy, that's good, man, let me know. I was looking in my old notes, and I thought, you know, that was 10 years ago. I'm seeing other things now. So this is an interesting narrative. So uh, we'll read it. Let's go ahead and stand. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7. And just to uh, let you know, there's only, including this, there's only two more. Well, including this, this would be, we'd have three messages on Elisha left. And uh, most of the miracles that he would perform have already uh been revealed. There'll be one last miracle that transpires after his death, but it is, it's connected with him. Other than that, the last couple times we see him here, he's more of a messenger. And so, uh, verse 7, and Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick, and it was told him, saying, the man of God has come hither, and the king said unto Hazael, Take a present in thine hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? So Hazael went to meet him, and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels, burden, and came and stood before him. That's quite a gift. And said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, hath sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? Now, that's quite an attitude adjustment from Ben-Hadad if uh, we were to read the prior chapters. Uh, his attitude toward Elisha has changed completely, and I'll show you here in a little bit. Um, let's see, where did I leave off at? Verse 10. Uh, and Elisha said unto him, Go say unto him, Now the reading here is important. Thou mayest certainly recover. 
Say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. Howbeit the Lord has showed me that he shall surely die. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, and I highlighted this. This is not the title, but I thought about making it the title. It's not, though. Because I know. And boy, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the things we know can really affect our heart, can't they? And there are some things, that it's like, man, I'd, I'd rather be naive, but we can't have our head in the sand. And if God reveals things to us, he reveals them to us for a purpose. He goes on, to, as he's speaking to Hazael, he said, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword. And will dash their children and rip up their women with child. And Hazael said, But what is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. So he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What said Elisha to thee? And he answered, He told me that thou shouldest surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth. So, uh, what do they call that? Uh, water. No, no, it's a torture. And I can't think of the name. There you go. Waterboarding. Here it is, right in the Bible almost. And dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died and Hazael reigned in his stead. All right. Lord willing, I won't need your help to preach the rest of the sermon, but if you're available, that'd be wonderful. Lord, may you bless the service. Thank you for the Word of God. May the Spirit of God help us to learn and understand uh, what we need from this passage that we've studied. You've recorded it, preserved it, inspired it, not just for historical purposes, but for personal uh, purposes, Lord, for every child of God. And I pray that you could teach us. I pray that you bless our music now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I enjoyed that. That was a blessing. All right, so let's get back to our story here. Elisha leaves Israel. It's kind of, there were some similarities as I was rereading this in this story and this morning's study on Jesus going into Tyre and Sidon, leaving the borders of Israel. Yeah, some similarities, certainly uh, contrast as well. Elisha's ministry is to Israel, but at this occasion, he leaves Israel. He goes into Damascus, which is a Sy the capital of Syria. And it's the location of the king. He goes there, and as we begin the reading, we don't know for sure why he's going there until we conclude the reading. The king hears that the man of God is in Damascus, and the king is ill, and it's, he's so ill that he thinks he's going to die. He has Hazael, who we don't know a lot about at this point. I, I know we've read, and you say, yeah, I know, but you know because you've read further on. But at this juncture, we don't know a whole lot about him. There was one other reference made about him in the days of Elijah. And that was, he would be king of Syria. And Elijah was to anoint him to be king 
of Syria. That's way back in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll take a peek at that here a little bit. Other than that, I don't know if he's now the captain of the host and Naaman has been put aside because he wouldn't bow to the god Ryman. Remember Naaman, the one who was, had his leprosy healed and testified of his newfound faith in the God of Israel. You remember him. And then he asked Elijah for uh, mercy when he has to go into uh, this house of idols and bow down with his master and all of that. I don't know if Naaman lost his job or what, uh, or if uh, Hazael is some other courier. He's maybe the prime minister. I don't know the situation, but Hazael is a trusted confidant. He's a trusted confidant of the king. He's there while the king is ill. The king hears about this, and the king tells Hazael, I want you to go inquire of Elisha, the man of God, and see if I will recover. And he says, bring a gift. So Hazael, obviously, he's got some clout. He, Forty camels loaded down with the treasures of Damascus. Uh, there's a lot on there. And it's interesting, at this occasion... We don't see Elisha stiff-arming the gift this time. Now, he didn't take the gift from Naaman, okay? But here, he may have received it, and that's fine. That, that God took care of his men, and, and so uh, that's not the main issue. But that was interesting. He's showing honor to Elisha. And he, as Elisha sees Hazael approach, uh, Hazael uh, speaks to Elisha and says, uh, Oh, man of God, your, your son, and he uses the term, your son, King Ben-Hadad. Now, that was the term that the kings of Israel used. They called Elisha their father. It was a term of endearment and submission. And so he's approaching it the right way. And then he says he wants to know, uh, man of God, if, if he's going to recover. The man of God looks at him, and the man of God says, tell the king... And this is what he says. Thou, we need to look at the statement because you need to see the statement. Uh, verse uh, 10. And Elisha said unto him, Go, say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. Howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. Now you see beyond that sem semicolon there, Hosea was not obligated to share that. What he was supposed to share was, he may, thou mayest certainly recover. That, uh, that word mayest has the idea of, he could certainly recover. Okay? Elisha is privy to what's going to happen here. And he's privy to the heart of the man he's talking to. All right? The... The whole reason, obviously, Elisha is in Damascus is not for the king. It's for Hazael. I want us at this time to turn back, don't lose your spot, but turn back to 1 Kings 19, and I'll give you the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is Unleashed. Unleashed. You ever been in a neighborhood where a vicious dog was unleashed? Did it just make you want to carry a gun? Well, God has his dogs. 
Look at 1 Kings 19. I won't go into all the detail of the chapter, but God is speaking to Elijah. We'll begin our reading here at verse uh, 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Pause. So God has this message for Elijah that there are three men that need to be anointed, appointed in a particular office for the purpose of judging the nation of Israel. Hazael, Jehu, who would be the king of Israel, and Elisha, this prophet. But then we move along. This was God's plan for Elijah. And what does he do? Elijah first meets Elisha. That's who he meets first. And he anoints him. But we move along in our scripture here in 1 Kings and look down at chapter 21. By the time we get to chapter 21, Ahab's sin has just, it's, got, it's up to here with the Lord. And he's bringing Israel into a lot of problems. But this time, this time Ahab's going to do something that we did not see from him. In spite of his wicked wife Jezebel, Ahab does something that it'd be wise for anybody to do when they get a message of judgment. And so, uh, verse 27, And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, well, he just received a message of judgment from Elijah, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. So what has transpired here is Ahab's humility has actually brought a stay of judgment upon the nation of Israel. Therefore, the need for Hazael becoming king is not necessary as of yet. And we progress a little bit farther on, and it seems like Elisha comes in after Elijah uh, passes on the scene, and Elisha is doing a lot of wonderful works for the people of God. They're, they're receiving a witness that the hand of God is with them. Let me just say this. They're getting a lot of grace. And grace, what is grace? It's an undeserved favor. It's an undeserved gift. By the way, that's how you and I got saved. We got saved by grace. And how did we get it? We got it because we needed mercy. And we knew that the only way to get it is to be humble before God. He giveth more grace to the humble. That's what the Bible says. And that's what the Bible teaches and illustrates. 
And so Ahab, in his humility, whether he knows it or not, though he may be selfish, because, hey, listen, if it's our own skin at stake, we get humble pretty quick. And so he humbles himself, and God says, I'm going to put a stay on this. And so now we move along. We come back all the way to chapter, uh, chapter 8. But now the Lord says it's time. Now, when the Lord spoke to Elisha about this, I don't know, but there's a reason Elisha shows up at Damascus, and we know the reason, as we've already read. I want to bring out a couple things as we go through this narrative. There are just some principles that I think will help us. Uh, I wish I could say I've got one final point, one primary thought. And maybe I do in the sense of, though you and I are saved... By grace, and though our salvation is secure in Christ, we cannot lose it. We are the children of God because of this faith. It does not dismiss the fact that we don't get weapons when we need them. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And I reckon if we were to do a raising of the hands, most honest people, honest Christians would, if I said, how many of you feel like you've been spanked before? I think most people that are Christians could say, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't, well, God bless you, gentlemen. God bless you. Uh, because I know whom the Lord loveth. Now that's good news, isn't it? He chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And I also know, if you be without chastisement, Hebrews 12, verse 8, if you be without chastisement, whereof all, all who? God's children are partakers. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Yes, that's a Bible word. That means... The Heavenly Father is not your father. That's what that means. So, now, if we were to ask the question, how many of you believe you've been gotten a spanking? Well, I reckon all of us at one time or another, different degrees, different degrees. I'm glad God knows how to get our attention, aren't you? I'm glad he, I'm glad he knows how to get our attention when we don't have the sense to get our own attention. <laughs> or we don't have the strength to say no. God can make us want to say no and he might let us dabble on a little while but every now and then God says oh that's enough you've crossed the line now as we look at this passage here he's dealing with he's dealing with what we would call unsafe people the world the ungodly and here's a reality in the Bible uh, the rulers of this world are rulers because God has allowed them to be rulers, regardless of how wicked they are. Now they might say, well, I manipulated and connived and I fought and did that. God allowed them to be where they're at, regardless of what position. It's God who puts up and brings down. And sometimes God allows the wicked to chasten his people. That's throughout the scripture. Uh, Babylon was allowed to chasten the nation, nation of Israel later on. 
God has allowed this. And sometimes, if that's the case with his people back then, who's to say it's not the case today? That he, allow, he allows the wicked to chasten his people. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, I've learned this. that if <clears throat> I don't know how you were corrected when you were a child, but my dad used a leather belt. And I, I did discover if I stood and took it, it was a lot easier than running from it. Now, I don't know. Maybe you never were touched or whipped at all. Well, praise the Lord for you. That's just not the way they worked up in northern Michigan in the backwoods. Of course, Dad had all these boys to contend with. And boys can be pretty obnoxious. I've had girls too, though, so. But <clears throat> it's just, it is easier. It's no, not fun, but it's easier to take it, accept it. I found you get, even with my dad, I remember, he seemed to be more merciful than he was if I was running from it. Well, I know our Heavenly Father is like that. But Israel, it's time, and he's going to, God is going to unleash the Syrians and judgment upon this nation. And so as we come back to our narrative here in 2 Kings chapter 8, Hazael has inquired on behalf of the king. Elisha has responded. And said, you know, he may recover. He, he, he could certainly recover from the disease. Uh, but he's going to die. And then verse 11. I hadn't saw, I didn't notice this, and I wouldn't have noticed this. And I, there could be some debate about this, but I do trust Matthew Henry. And there are a few commentators that, hey, when I come across the pickle in a scripture, it's like, I don't know which way it could go, and so I'll just trust their opinion. If I'm wrong, it's not going to break our fellowship. Matthew Henry says this. It says, and he settled his countenance until he was ashamed. Is that what that passage says, the next one? Yeah. Matthew Henry said Elisha was looking at Hazael until Hazael was ashamed. And then the scripture distinctively says, and Elisha wept. It, it's like he's looking at this guy, and then he gets to where he's ashamed, and then Elisha weeps. I've always read it, it was Elisha that got ashamed and wept. I don't know how much goes into that. I like the idea that the man of God could stare down Hazael, though. So I'm going to go with that. I like the idea that the man of God was not ashamed, but he was broken. It was as though he was looking at someone that he knew their heart. He could see right through it. God let him see it. And he looks at him, and he looks right through him. And he begins to weep. And Hazael says, Why weepest thou, my Lord? 
And there's where you get that phrase. Can you see old Elisha with his tears all watery? Or eyes all watery? And he looks at him and says, because I know. I know some things that are heavy on my heart. I know some things about you. I know some things that are going to take place because of you. You know, that's the thing. When God reveals things to us, or sometimes we have that knowledge of, of behavior, because certain behaviors lead to certain uh, consequences. That's just the fact. I know that if somebody stares at pornography all day long and they, they fill their uh, body with drugs and alcohol, I know that's not going to end well. I know that's not going to end well. I know when a Christian does that kind of stuff, it's going to be difficult for them to take care of their personal response. It's not going to end well, especially if they have a family. I, I know that. I know that if somebody hangs out with the wrong crowd long enough, it's going to affect them. I know that. I've had good friends that I thought, you're listening to the wrong people. You are hanging out with them a little too much. They got a bitter spirit. The next thing you know, they're gone. And it's difficult because I can look right at them and I, I remember looking right at them thinking, here today, you're going to be gone tomorrow. Those are tough things. You, you look at your child and you know your child... You know your child's lying because you, you just know you're a parent. And maybe there are some evidence and, and they look you right in the eyeball and say, not me. That's heavy. That's hard because the law of cause and effect, y'all familiar with that? Uh, it's sowing and reaping. Certain behaviors are going to lead to certain consequences. None of us want to see our loved ones hurt. And it's difficult when we know they're going to self-inflict this, and it's going to be very hard on them. Because I know. Elisha has to de deliver a difficult message, ladies and gentlemen. As I study this, I'm like, I, Lord, I'm not sure where to zero in here. I can't understand this fact. It's a difficult message. This is not an easy message. He's got to leave Israel and he's got to go into Syria. He's got to confront a man that's going to destroy the people he loves. That's not a fun message. Not at all. And I understand that as a preacher, as someone who preaches the Word of God. I am grateful that Elisha stayed faithful and stayed true to the whole counsel of God. And I am fully aware that uh, those who preach the whole counsel of God are not going to be the most popular people on this planet, let alone even in America. They're just not going to. Because the crowds will come to certain type messages, but you get to other type messages like, uh, well, who do they think they are judging us? If they're preaching the word, they're preaching the word, right? Let's let God speak. There's a reason this is in the scripture. Judgment's coming to Israel. 
And this is the way it's delivered. This is the way it's handed out. Hazael is going to be confronted and, according to 1 Kings 19, anointed king of Syria. So, we read on in verse 12, And Hazael said, Why weepest, weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do to the, unto the children of Israel. They're strong. I already read all that. And Hazael said, But what is thy servant a dog? Here's where I kind of got the parallel this morning, man. The Lord Jesus leaves Sidon. I just, that's, I'm reading it. But totally different uh, incident here. Because here's a man who's going to bring forth a judgment. Earlier this morning, we talked about a lady who sought mercy. Anyways, what is thy servant a dog, says Hazael, that he should do this great thing? And I want to pause and just say something right here. Because I don't know. To be honest, you and I can't read hearts. And listen, I've been wrong plenty of times. Have you? Have you ever judged somebody wrong? I, I mean, it's... And even with my kids... There have been times we've judged them right, times have been wrong. It's like, well, I don't know. I, I'm not good at this. I need the facts, just the facts, like Sergeant Friday. Was that who it was? I can deal with that. But <clears throat> uh, we see Hazael responding to this emotion of the man of God, and he, he doesn't think, according to the narrative, he doesn't see this being possible. And so even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, I could see that too. Because nobody knows how wicked their heart can be until they have all the power that they'd ever ask for. I mean, if you could do anything you wanted right now and know you could get away with it, where would your heart go? That'll say a lot about your Christianity right there. That'll say a lot about your Christianity. You could do anything you want and get away with it. What would you do? Well, God forbid we'd let ourselves go into evil and wickedness. But that ought to be a great evaluator to you. Sometimes it's just the pure fear of God that restrains us, and that's a good thing. But it's even better when the love of God restrains us, constrains. But Hazael says, well, I can't see this happening. And then Elisha says this, the Lord has showed me you're going to be king. Oh. And that's how the message ends. That's how the inquiry ends. Hazael leaves, he leaves the gifts, and he returns. The king says to Hazael, what did the man of God say? He didn't lie. He said, thou mayest recover. And he would have recovered from the disease. Because that was the idea. The question was about the disease. Would you recover from the disease? Yeah, he would have recovered from the disease. And he could have. One little issue. Murder. Murder. Hazael comes back, and I, I, I got to thinking about this, too. You know, Hazael comes back, and this is the devil. This is how the devil works. He'll give you good news and then suffocate you. He'll give you just enough to keep you blindsided. And so Hazael comes back. 
he responds, tells the king, you're going to make it, and he takes a wet cloth and suffocates him. And then he becomes king. So he must have been right up there in rank. Uh, <coughs> the, uh, the devil knows how to put us in a comfort zone, too. But I, I was thinking... Let's go back to Ben-Hadad. Now, let's consider him for just a moment, since he's a part of this narrative, and we got a few minutes. Uh, Ben-Hadad has had a drastic change of attitude with the man of God. And I think that's worth looking into real quickly, if you got just a moment. Uh, look over to chapter uh, 6, chapter 6, and look at verse 8, verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. Verse 8, the Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. And of course, in this passage here, Elisha gives the king of Israel the heads up against the king of Syria. And so the king of Syria cannot do any sneak attack. It's always exposed. And then he discovers Elisha is the one that's helping. And so we come to verse 13. And the king of Syria says, verse 13, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. And so they're wanting to take him captive, this king of Syria. I don't know what he wants to do to him, but he's wanting to take him captive. This king of Syria, let's consider the king of Syria for just a moment. Let's consider the witness that he's received from God for just a moment. Yeah, I know he's not an Israelite, but let's consider him for just a moment. He's the fellow that dies in this story, at least in this juncture. They're all going to die. <laughs> but in this story, he dies. And so, let's consider him. First of all, uh, I, I look back to chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Naaman the leper worked for this king. And did Naaman the leper come back with a miracle? Yes, he did. So is that like a testimony of God before the king, yes or no? That's like... Uh, that's like God revealing some of his light, some of his power, some of his truth to this king. Well, obviously, you go from that to this, it's like he didn't care. He wants to war against Israel. He wants to conquer and capture. And then he's going after the man of God. And then we go into chapter 7, and what's he do? He, he sets up uh, troops to besiege the city of Israel. So we go to chapter 7. All right, so you remember, you remember the famine and the four lepers and all of that. So let's look, uh, well, let's begin at chapter 6. I'm sorry, we're real close there. Chapter 6, verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. This is when the famine took place, people starving to death, and the lepers, they stepped out on faith and uh, desperation, and God blessed. And so, come down to chapter 7, verse 6 now. Or chapter 7, verse 5. The lepers have decided we're going forward. We don't have any choice. <clears throat> they're the only ones that have food. <clears throat> so they're marching toward the camp of the Syrians. In verse 5, the Bible says, uh, And they rose up, this is the lepers, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, 
even the noise of a great host. They said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites. So anyways, what I'm getting across there is they're running for their lives. They're running for their lives. This king ought to be mindful that the God of Israel is the God. He's God. And now, rather than him seek out Elisha in Israel, since Elisha is in Damascus, and since he is ill, hey, uh, Hazel, go see the man of God. And this is indicative of a lot of people, not just ungodly, but even saved people. He says, go see the man of God and inquire if, if I'll recover. Here's what I mean. I, I see no spiritual interest in his life at all. Absolutely concerned about his physical interest, his body. Hello. And I'll guarantee you, we always, and there's nothing wrong with praying for our illness. We ought to. But I'll guarantee you, we pray far more for our human illnesses than we do our spiritual illnesses. Our physical illnesses, rather than our spirit. We do. When the reality is, maybe if we prayed more for our spiritual illness to recover, inadvertently, it would affect our physical illness in a positive way. Because a merry heart does good like a medicine. I do know when the heart is right with God, it tends to affect the countenance. Even David said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? For uh, hope in God, for thou art the health of my countenance. When you have hope, it does something to you. But Ben-Hadad says, man, see if I'm going to get better here. And by the way, bring a lot of gifts. And I'm just here to say to Ben-Hadad, money wasn't going to get you out of your fix. It didn't matter how wealthy you were. And it didn't matter how much power you had. If you don't have God, you are going to lose. That's it. And now you come to him and you're being kind and that's fine. Uh, It's a wonderful thing. Your your attitude has changed toward him. But nevertheless, you're seeking the man of God rather than the God of the man. And that that is the issue. And so, when Hazel is unleashed, he's not just unleashed to Syria. By the way, he'll get his too. God knows how to judge the ungodly as well as his people. But when Hazel is unleashed, he first is unleashed against his own king. And so anyways, there's so much here, and uh, I realize you can take it different directions. But I'm going to stop there. It's, it's time. Let's, let's pray here. Father, I love you. I pray that you bless uh, the teaching of your word. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to understand uh, how you work in the nations with your people and even with those who are not called by your name. Everybody serves you, whether they are a willing or unwilling servant. Even the devil is an unwilling servant. And Father, we know, Lord God, that you reign supreme. And I pray that our heart and our spirit would be sensitive to your leadership and that we would seek to walk with you. I ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Brother Brian, what are we going to sing?